Well, hello everyone and welcome to Worship at Grace. We're so glad, so glad that you're here today. We're in a series called Church Next where we're asking the question, what does God want the next chapter to look like at Grace Fellowship? Last week, we saw how the disciples gathered together and they waited and prayed for power from God. Well, guess what? The power came. And this week, in chapter 2, we see how God answered their prayers. Suddenly, as they prayed, there was a sound like a howling wind, like a hurricane that swept through their midst. And the disciples must have been amazed because they saw, the text says, what seemed to be tongues of fire, these little flickers of flame that were on their heads, and yet their hair was not singed. It must, have been, it must have been like the fire that Moses saw, where the bush burned, but it was not consumed. And they knew that God was doing something special. This flame symbolized his grace and truth that was coming upon them. And this was also a direct fulfillment of Joel's prophecy in the Old Testament, where he said, in the last days I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, and this is going to be for your sons and your daughters. It's going to be for your young and your old. In other words, everyone is going to be involved in this. Now let me ask you a question. When God moves today, when God moves in church next, is it going to be identical to that? Now the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, yes and forever. Amen, that's true. That means his character never changes. He's always faithful, always the same. But when God moves, when he works, is that always the same? I hope your answer is not necessarily. Because you see, God is creative and he's never ever promised us that his special movement is always going to be identical to the time before when he moved. But make no mistake, God still does special things today. He moves in powerful ways. People sometimes ask me, Pastor Rex, are you one of those pastors who believes in the power of God? Do you believe God can do awesome things? I say, are you kidding? We should always attempt great things for God and always expect great things from God. Yes, I believe in that. But God's move in church next is always going to be creative. It's going to be a little different. We should not, in other words, necessarily expect wind like a hurricane or for people to break out in Swahili or Russian God's work is always going to be new and distinctive. It could be the same, but likely it will be a bit different. So let's look now at some of the characteristics of church next. If we're expecting God to do great and supernatural things, and I believe that church next will be marked by the distinctive power of God, what are some of those characteristics? I invite you to go along with me here as we study this passage together. First of all, I would want you to see that church next attracts the attention of the world. It gets attention when God really moves in power. We pick it up in verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem 
God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Now, as I mentioned last week, this event occurred on a festival day called Pentecost, where people from all over the world had come together to celebrate. Now, our wonderful folks in Saratoga know what that's like. They know what it's like during racing season to have people from literally all over the world come to their city in order to be a part of something that is celebrative. And many times, these people in between races and activities are, have idle time where they're looking for something to do. What a special time this was. What an ideal time, really, for God to break in and do something unusual. And so the people were naturally curious. What's going on here? What's this windstorm about? Why are these uneducated Galileans suddenly bilingual? But some of them scoffed and said, Ah, nothing special about this. That's just a bunch of drunks showing off. That's all that is. <laughs> but please don't miss the point. When the Holy Spirit shows up in power, immediately it attracts attention. And I believe, dear friends, that in the next chapter of grace, as the Holy Spirit moves in our midst, in our lives, it is going to stir things up in the capital region. I'm frequently asked by people in the community, friends and just folks I meet, what's going on over there? They look at one of our parking lots, either on Saturday or Sunday, and they see that parking lot filled with cars, and they're amazed because in a day when so many churches are clo closing down, they wonder, what's the buzz? What's the stir? Why are there so many cars in the parking lot? What's going on that? I'm asked that all the time. But it's not just the numbers of people that will tr attract attention. It's the distinctive compassion of the people of God. I don't want you to miss next weekend. Next weekend, I'm going to be sharing from Acts chapter 3, where we're looking at how God used Peter and John to heal a disabled man at the temple gate. It's an awesome story. I don't want you to miss it. And by the way, we're going to close out next weekend's services in a very unusual way. I want you to be there for that. I want you to be a part of it. But the Bible says in Acts 3.11, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Genuine compassion always draws attention. And again, let me say it again. Next weekend, I don't want you to miss it because we're going to talk about what it means to be a uniquely compassionate community. Friends, let me talk to your heart for a moment. I hope you understand the world may be turned off, indeed, may even scoff at our doctrine and our morality. They may be turned off by our buildings and our budgets. But the one thing that gets the attention of people in this world is when God enables us to act with genuine compassion as we minister to and help people. I think that's going to be one of the distinguishing marks of grace next, church next, as we go forward into the next season of our life together. 
Rick Russo is a pastor I know from Longmont, Colorado. Great guy, wonderful church. And he tells about how his church decided that they would offer help to a local public school. Now, they hadn't been invited to, but they just offered to help them out in some practical ways. And the Board of Education gave permission for them to beautify the grounds of the schools, rebuild playgrounds, landscape the entryways, lay new carpet, and paint some of the hallways. And Rick Russo, the pastor, writes, through witnessing these helpful acts of service, people believed that the church just might have something worth listening to. I will never forget, Rick writes, the, mo the comment of one fourth grade teacher as she stood there amazed amazed at the work being done on her classroom by complete strangers. Get this. She said, if this is Christianity, then I'm interested. Now, I believe a lot of people are going to respond in just that way when they see the genuine love of God, compassion, coming through God's people. What am I saying here? The bottom line is, Changed lives is always going to draw attention. When drunks become sober, when abusers become self-controlled, when lazy people give a good work effort, when cheaters become honest, when bitter people start to forgive, when profane people begin to clean up their speech, when selfish people become genuinely unselfish. Oh, people are going to ask, what's going on here? And they're going to know that only God, only God can do something like that. You might put it this way. When God's people catch on fire, listen, all the world is going to come to watch us burn for God. Before I move on, I want to add a couple of footnotes, though, to add some perspective. First, not all people who take notice are going to respond favorably. We need to understand that realistically. Some in Jerusalem here scoff. They said, ah, they're just drunk with cheap wine. And folks, some people are not comfortable when the church actually does some good. Did you know that? They'd much rather we stay cloistered behind our four walls and not bother the community, not stir anything up, not get involved. Because to some people, they see the church amazingly, this is amazing to me, they see the church as a threat. Oh, they're going to impose our values on us. Oh, they're going to be a political force in the world. It's just a cult. And so they try to create fear in people. So not everyone is going to be happy when we get out in the street and start getting involved. But secondly, the Holy Spirit is the one who attracts attention here. This was not self-promotion. Now, you live in the real world, right? I don't need to remind you, I don't think, that self-promotion is the name of the game in our world today. I mean, if you don't promote yourself, who's going to promote you? And by the way, there's nothing wrong with marketing. Nothing wrong with some good advertising every now and then. We're not against that. But sometimes, I think that Grace Fellowship 
is the best kept secret in the capital district. You know what I think sometimes? Some things at times I, I think about all that God is doing through this amazing church at all four of our locations. And I think, you know what? We ought to call a press conference. We ought to call a press conference and we ought to pound our chest a little bit. You ever see an NFL player when he makes a sack on the quarterback, he'll get up and dance around and pound his chest. Yeah, I did it. Look, look at me. Sometimes I think we ought to gloat and beam a little bit about all that God is doing through this church because not many people know. We don't talk about it. Even internally, we don't talk about it much. All the homeless, hungry, hurting, and hopeless people that God allows us to help. There are hundreds, hundreds every month through our four locations that are helped by the people of this church. We don't talk much about the missions trips that we take and all the practical service we provide and the medical help and the hope that we give to people in developing countries who are underserved and many of them in desperate plight. We don't talk much about all the marriages that are being mended all the families that are being helped, all the children that are being nurtured in biblical truth and taught about Jesus, all the lives that are being changed, sometimes I think we ought to just call a press conference and tell it. But just about the moment I start thinking that, I'm reminded that Habakkuk 1.7 speaks disparagingly about those who promote their own honor. And I'm reminded, poignantly, that 1 Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the prophet proper time. This was not the disciples promoting themselves. This was God drawing attention. And so our philosophy has always been and will continue to be, we believe the church ought to be kind of understated. Again, nothing wrong with marketing. That's not a sinful thing. It's not a bad thing. Some advertisement, it can be proper and good and wise. But our main job is just to be the church. And we need to let the Holy Spirit either market us or not as he sees fit. But church next is going to draw a degree of attention. Secondly, secondly, what's going to mark this next chapter that God has for us? Church next wins people to Christ wins people to Christ. Verse 14 reads, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Now Jesus once told Peter that he was going to be given the keys to the kingdom, and here, Peter is sort of, if you will, taking those keys and opening the door to the kingdom through this first gospel sermon that he preaches. Kind of interesting. He begins by explaining, hey gang, we're not drunk like some of you think. No, this is the Holy Spirit working. And Peter said there's good news and bad news. The bad news is God sent the promised Messiah and you killed him. Yeah, you should have known through his miracles and teachings and life that he was the one. But instead, you, along with the help of cruel people, crucified him on the cross. Good news? God was working through the whole thing. Good news, God had predestined that Jesus die an atoning sacrifice on the cross so that if we place our faith in him, our sins can be forgiven. Good news, God raised Jesus from the dead. 
He goes on in verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And catch this response, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's what conviction from God does. It, it cuts to the very heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, Jesus had predicted this would happen. Jesus predicted that when the comforter comes, this counselor that I'm going to send, he will convict the world of sin. And here is a prime example of the Holy Spirit beginning to do that. They were convicted of sin. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard a sermon, maybe at Grace or somewhere else, and you thought, you know what, that sermon was just for me? One of the most common comments I've gotten through the years after a sermon is, Pastor Rex, have you bugged our home this week? And people laugh, sometimes kind of nervously laugh, go, no, seriously, have you been following me around this week? Because I'm telling you, it's like I was the only one in the room today. I mean, it's like, it's like, wow, how did he know? Wow, you were talking just to me today and probably nobody else. I mean, you were talking directly to the, all the issues that I've been grappling with all week long. I hear that over and over and over. Can I tell you, church, when I hear that, I know one thing for sure, the Holy Spirit is working. That's not me. That's just the Holy Spirit taking the word of God and applying it to the heart of people. So these people said, what shall we do? And verse 38 and following records Peter's classic response, repent. That means change your mind, change your direction, change your whole way of thinking. Quit hijacking your own life and turn it over to God. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other signs he warned them, excuse me, words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Listen, listen, listen. Dear friends, can I tell you, Church Next is going to be a place that is so dynamic and positively powerful that people are gloriously saved by God's power. Oh, I'm so excited about that part of church next. The gospel is going to be preached and people are going to be saved and baptized into Christ and start their journey. In this church, 3,000 were baptized that very, the early church started as a mega church on day one. And I want us at all of our campuses to be a place where we're regularly hearing these wonderful life change stories. Can you believe what God is doing in her life, in his life, in so-and-so's life? That's the kind of church God wants us to be. 
around Christmas of 2004, a deadly tsunami hit Thailand. Tilly Smith, a girl from the UK, kind of studied the fact that the water was receding as she walked there on the beach that morning. As others kind of stared in wonder at the ships that were being stranded and the fish that were being left on the sand as the water rushed away, she took notice and she recognized the danger. You see, in school, she had recently done a project on these giant waves caused by underwater earthquakes, these waves called tsunamis that are very deadly. She said, I recognized what was happening and had a feeling there was going to be a tsunami, and so I told mommy. And with the quick action of her mom and the hotel staff, my cow beach there on the island of Phuket was quickly cleared, and it was one of the few islands where no lives were lost. They were literally minutes, just moments. It was clear just moments before that giant tsunami crashed with, it, with its deadly force. Now don't you know that Tilly Smith and her mom, for a while, for a while, must have been in jeopardy of ridicule. People could have said, you're foolish, what are you talking about? But later, they were so glad they did because it was one of the few islands where no lives, one of the few beaches where no lives were lost. Her teacher, Andrew Kearney, said, Tilly is a very bright, level-headed girl. It's an incredible coincidence that our class was learning about this type of tsunami just two weeks before Christmas. Tilly Smith had information, she had truth, and she acted on it. That's what we're supposed to do. Peter had been taught the truth by Jesus himself, and now on the day of Pentecost, he stands up and warns them of the danger. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Peter warned them of the truth, that those who die in their sins are destined for eternal disaster. And 3,000 heeded his warning and were saved. Oh, church next. Church next is going to be a place where we courageously stand and trumpet the truth about Jesus Christ and eternal life. Some may scoff, but if even one person is saved, it will be worth every bit of our effort. Paul says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. This past calendar year, 2006 at Grace, was an amazing year of truth proclamation and of harvest, really. Do you realize that in 2006 alone, 16 alone, between our four campuses, we had 476 people follow the Lord Jesus in believers' baptism. I mean, telling you, that is incredible. We're going to really, really celebrate that in just a moment. You know, the Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice when even one sinner repents. And we need, we need to celebrate every time someone comes to the Lord. The psalmist said, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. So let me just ask you, don't get worried. I'm not going to ask you to say anything now. But I do want you to stand. And here's the deal. We're not just going to do 2016. 
But at all of our locations, if you have been baptized in water, if you've followed the Lord in baptism in obedience, if you've done that in the last two years at any of our locations, any of our campuses, would you mind, not going to ask you to do anything other than stand, would you just stand to your feet right now and let us celebrate with you? Oh, that's awesome. Go ahead, stand right up. Isn't that great? We celebrate with you all that God is doing in your life. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your, your courageous, courageous obedience to Jesus Christ. Church Next is going to be a place where people are constantly coming to faith. And can I tell you one thing before we look at this final major point today? That makes the church an exciting place. Because it's wonderful to have seasoned believers and brand new beginners in Christ, Christ-centered people, and people who've just crossed over the line and are starting in their walk. It's great to have them all together in one big family. That's an exciting church. But finally today, number three, Church Next edifies new believers. Would you agree with me? That the word edify is one of the most stained glass words in the world. What does it mean? The word edify means to build up. It means to strengthen and to stabilize. And believers, that's what God wants for all of us. I say it to you all the time. When you repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ, he forgives all of your sins, he adopts you into his family, and he comes in you by his Holy Spirit and begins to change you from the inside out. Now listen, one of the major things the Holy Spirit does is edify you. He stabilizes you. He strengthens you and builds you up because you need it. That's God's design. He wants you to be all he designed you to be. And so he empowers you to overcome temptation. He gives you the wisdom and the strength to make wise decisions, to build better relationships, to share the gospel, to cope with suffering, and the list goes on and on and on. That's what he does. He edifies you. Paul writes in Romans 8, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Now, when that happens with you, when the Holy Spirit comes in you at salvation, and that may be a very emotional experience or not. But one thing's for sure, it is a progressive growing experience. I've often compared it to a little baby in a crib. Have you ever watched a little baby? They're just amazing. Boy, if you want evidence of God's creative wonders, just look at a little baby in a crib. Have you ever seen a little baby? Sometimes they'll, they'll be holding their hands like this, and they'll look at those hands almost with a look of wonderment. Have you ever seen this? It's, it's incredible to watch. And it's like that little baby is thinking, wow, what are those? Those things belong to me. And it's like this revelation. But not only does he need to realize those belong to him, yes, but he's going to learn to use those hands to hold a bottle, to catch a ball, and to do all kinds of wonderful things in life. When you're born again, God grants you the Holy Spirit, but boy, is it a discovery. 
It's a revelation as day by day by day you learn the amazing assets, the strength that God has given you by his spirit. He wants you to live an abundant life. Now, as we go down home stretch today, I want to quickly walk you through Acts 2.42. Here's what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That verse, verse 42, lists four things that the early disciples did to posture themselves for God to work in their lives. And the same is true for us today. Church Next is going to be marked by these four activities. And if you want to be strong, because Church Next is not just about a corporate thing, it's about you. It's about you being all God wants you to be. I can hardly wait to see what God makes you into. Some of you are relatively new to this whole thing. I'm so excited about the person God is making you into. But these four things are critical if you want to be all God designed you to be. Number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? They literally had apostles walking around who had walked with Jesus. Now, those apostles aren't walking around here anymore. There's still people today that start things, and, it, and if that's an apostle, someone who's kind of a builder like that, then, then you could say, in that sense, there are apostolic figures today, that's for sure. But not people who wrote scripture. No one's still writing scripture today. How do we get the apostles' teaching? We get it through God's word, the Bible. And so the more you know God's word, the more you're going to know God's will for your life. And the more you learn the Bible, the more you're going to be equipped to live this abundant life and walk in step with the Spirit every day. Do you remember when you first learned to use a computer keyboard? You first learned to kind of type and use that keyboard? Do you, you remember that? It, for most of us, it was an awkward experience. You had to literally think, okay, little finger A, next finger S, D, F, and you had to kind of connect, you had to stop and connect the finger with the right letter. But what happens over time? The awkwardness begins to fade. And a skilled typist can just look at a word and the fingers dance, dance over the keyboard. It just becomes like second nature. And I want to tell you, when you first become a follower of Jesus, reading the Bible may be awkward. You're reading words you've never heard before. You're getting exposed to concepts that seem strange to you and even contrary to many things you've been taught. Oh, what a learning curve. It seems awkward, but as you continue to apply yourself and to get involved in more and more study of God's word, it becomes second nature, and soon it becomes a marvelous dance where your mind is saturated with the word of God. Paul writes in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. A writer I greatly respect from another generation, Elton Trueblood was his name. He said, every church ought to be like a little seminary. I love that. 
So consider yourself enrolled in seminary today. Are you a part of grace? Hey, you are enrolled. You have matriculated. Study hard. Dig deeply. Devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. Second, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. One of the key ways God empowers us is through meaningful relationships. After all, Jesus taught us to pray, not my Father in heaven, but what? Our, our Father in heaven. We do this together. And the Bible is full of those admonitions. Love one another, encourage one another, serve one another, strengthen one another, pray for one another, and on and on and on. It's a, the church is a together thing. And if you lack meaningful relationships, you're going to struggle. George Barna, in one of his key surveys, found out that 82% of people are going to fall away from the church within five years or less if they do not build meaningful friendships. And I believe that is absolutely true. All of my experience through the years seems to bear that out. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Third, third, to the breaking of bread. Now, most scholars believe that's a code word for the Lord's Supper. It doesn't just mean they ate together, which they did. Later on in this text, it says they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. But this, scholars believe, is code language for communion. They shared the Lord's Supper together. And in that sense, they broke bread. Jesus made an amazing statement in John 6:56, a mystical statement. He said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Boy, you talk about a controversial statement. And there are professing followers of Christ all, all over the world and throughout history who believe various things about what that means. I believe Jesus was speaking figuratively and symbolically. But I believe that many of us who see the symbolism in Jesus' words... I think we have devalued the act of worship and communion. And friends, I, I say it with sadness. We live in a day where many people will just kind of skip church, blow off church at the most tiny excuse they can come up with. My mother and father were born in 1920 and 1910, respectively. My dad was 50 years old when I was born. They were a part of what Tom Brokaw has called the greatest generation. I think part of what he meant by that, Brokaw, was that they were committed and they had a sense of duty. Now, my mother was a committed Christian. And for her, that meant, wow, she was going to be in worship with her church family pretty much no matter what. It didn't matter how she felt. It didn't matter how her week had gone. It didn't matter what the weather was like. If she could be there, she was going to be there. And so I didn't ask as a kid growing up if we're going to worship or not. I simply asked, when are we leaving? Because it was a foregone conclusion. There wasn't any doubt about it. I was going to be in worship at least once a week with God's people. So I'm just kind of bearing my soul today. 
I'm confessing it to you. When I was a teenager, I had a drug problem. I did. I had a drug problem, a big one. My mother drugged me to church every week. That's right. I had to be there. She made me be there, even when I didn't want to be. But after I came to Christ, I wanted to be there. Now, here's the deal. I am actually embarrassed by how quickly sometimes in the winter when a few snokes, uh, flakes of snow fall, how quickly churches cancel services. It's amazing. So if we have two or three inches of snow, I just want to give you a heads up. Don't even call and ask our services canceled. No way. No way. Later that afternoon, the Times Union Center is going to be filled for some basketball game. And yet we at the drop of a hat just find an excuse not to be there. Now, Hear me, things happen, don't they? We have illnesses. We have business travel and family travel and vacations that keep us away. We have physical ailments. Can I tell you one I've got today? I'm sitting today because I've got a knee that is excruciatingly painful. It really is. I'm in a sweat, actually, uh, with this knee because I've got a bad case of runner's knee. Pray for me, but don't feel sorry for me. I deserve it, right? I pushed it a little too hard. But it's going to get better. It'll get better. But thank, thanks for your concern and, and for all of your prayers. But there are all kinds of things that can legitimately keep us from being together with God's people. But we need to make that a primary value. And we need to know that our kids understand that as well. What is God going to do in church next? They're going to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and forth to prayer. I said it last weekend. I'll say it again. I begin every day by saying, God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And these people saw prayer as always the first thing they did. It was not a last resort when they were desperate. May that be us. May we walk in step with the Spirit, and may God make church next a place where when the people of God catch on fire for him, the world would come and watch us burn. And in the process, they would find the very life of God. Lord, would you help us today to be church next? I'm so excited about the coming messages in this series as we talk next weekend about what that distinctive compassion is going to look like. And we go right on through these chapters looking at what church next is going to be because it's really going to be an exercise in back to the future. Thank you that you've designed us to be a dynamic, positive, transformative force in this world. And thank you for the amazing people of this church who get that and who are sitting on the edge of their seats, some of them standing on tiptoe with anticipation, waiting for what your next chapter is going to be. Oh God, may we be ready. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.